Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. Church. Um, the reading is from Ruth, chapter 4, verses 1 through 22. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it. And say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi... You also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among the brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not led you this day without a redeemer, left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. 
Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. This is the word of the Lord. Let, Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the things that it teaches us about our redemption and about um, how we have been liberated. And Lord, I just pray for Dan as he preaches that this this understanding will, will grow in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, back when I was in college, um, I thought it was a great idea uh, to take programming classes uh, to complete a science requirement for my degree as a math major. Because for me, uh, back when I was in high school, I actually took computer science classes for four years. And so since I've done it for so long, how hard could it be? It didn't take very long to realize it's actually really hard. See, it wasn't just the fact that um, college-level courses required a strong understanding of logic that I didn't quite need to pass my high school classes. It wasn't just that I learned brand new programming languages that were unfamiliar to me. I had um, some knowledge and some background, but if it was a different language, things operated differently. But even more basic than that, most often what happened is that uh, every time I would try to take a crack at the code, um, I would try to run the program just to find out that it doesn't work. And then I would look through each line of code for almost an hour till I finally realized there was a semicolon that I forgot to put down. Or the period was actually supposed to be a comma. Uh, If you are into programming, it is called a syntax error. And I made a lot of them um, as a college grad. Uh, See, uh, what happened often is that before I could even get to the challenging parts of the assignment, working with the different uh, uh, elements of the language, whether it is just trying to use logic to solve what the problem was for the assignment, I was actually just spending hours to try to get my code to run so I could know what's wrong with it. There were very basic issues, the typos, that prevented me from getting to the actual meat of the assignment. I couldn't get to the actual issues of the program because I couldn't run the code. Now, I'm not trying to say that finding typos for a college-level course is high stakes by any means, but I'm just pointing out the principle underneath it. If the basic issues, like the, the typos or the syntax of the code, if those are left unresolved, how can you deal with the harder, more complex issues at hand? When we bring it to real life, if you are so emotionally exhausted where it is difficult to get out of bed, if you have no way of getting food, if you have no security or safety as an outsider to a community without these basic needs met, uh, 
chances are there isn't much thought going in your mind except for how can I solve these issues? That's basically the trajectory of the story of Ruth. Yes, the landmark moment, the introduction shows that the lineage of Elimelech was wiped out. Him and his sons have passed away with no child to take the mantle of the name. All that was left were the three widows, Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah. And as they tried to return back to Israel, as the story starts off with tragedy, before they could deal with the most complex issue of what will the legacy be for the family, will the family be wiped out, before they could even get to those questions they needed to work through, how does Naomi grapple with her despair and her bitterness? How do they even find food to survive the next season? Who will protect them as they are vulnerable and marginalized? But in this story, we see that every step of the way, God meets them there. God uses Ruth, the companion to Naomi. Ruth, the gatherer of food who went out of her way to make sure they had a bite to eat. Ruth, the woman who called upon Boaz to be a husband, but not just a husband, but a redeemer, God used this Ruth to provide for the family of Elimelech. And as those most basic needs are being met, we get to the close of this story, the end of the story, where God is working and has set the stage to answer the complex issues of Elimelech's legacy of Naomi's family, of Ruth's family now. Here we get to see that the God who loves and restores Naomi is the same God who loves and is at work to care for his people Israel. And as we in the 21st century look back on God's work, we can zoom out even higher to see how his trajectory starting even before the story of Ruth moves forward even to relevance in our lives today. And I'm going to bring that up in three very simple points. We see God's love for Naomi. We see God's love for Israel, his people, and God's love for you. God's love for Naomi, God's love for his people, and God's love for you. So as we begin chapter 4 of Ruth, we see uh, part two of the room where it happens, as Joel mentioned last week. Right after the encounter between Ruth and Boaz early in the morning, Boaz had a, step, uh, had a sense of urgency in his step. He immediately rises, goes to the front gate, which is an open area. It's probably not that different from the farmer's market every Saturday morning in downtown. And as he is waiting at the gate where everyone comes and goes, uh, he waits for this redeemer that is to come. And so here, the complex issue of Naomi's legacy is beginning to be resolved. You see, starting from verse 3, Boaz lays out the issue before the redeemer. He says, Naomi is selling the land of her late husband, 
by it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And the nameless redeemer replies, I will redeem it. You see, for this redeemer, uh, the first part of the deal seemed like an easy win. The first step of the process involves taking ownership, purchasing Naomi's land, and with that, you know, just providing for her, making sure she has something to eat, making sure she's cared for. Um, it's actually a very no, it's, it's a no-brainer for the Redeemer to say yes. Sure, you pay some money up front, you buy the land, but with every year that passes, with every harvest, you reap the benefits. You reap all of the profit you gain each and every year. Of course, he will say, I will redeem it. Yet, there was a catch. You see, being a redeemer meant that you not only took care of those who were still alive, but you perpetuated the name of the dead. In ancient Israel, what really mattered. The worst thing that could happen to you is if every, uh, if there was no heir to your name. So having no children, no one to take ownership of the land, no one to say, this land belongs to my family, it's almost like annihilation. It was the worst thing that could happen for your line, for your family name. And so that's why Boaz clarifies in verse 5, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also require Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. And so this redeemer would marry Ruth and provide a child that would one day become an heir to Elimelech's land. And so what first sounded like an easy cash grab actually became a liability. To be a redeemer for Naomi, it meant providing children, namely a male heir, to carry on Elimelech's family line. You see, this nameless man had to provide a grandchild for Naomi, but what that also meant is that the field is not actually going to be his, so he gets no profit there. And actually, his own inheritance, all of the wealth he acquired and he accrued, would actually be divided amongst his children, including Naomi's grandchildren. So basically, it was a complete loss. It, was, it would be a guaranteed loss for someone to say yes, because you not only gain the, you not only lose the profits you were supposed to get, but you actually also lose the money and the wealth that you already had. And for that reason, he said, I'm out. It feels like a very brief three-verse interaction between Boaz and this nameless man. And before we try to fill in the story too much, uh, let me just pause with a hope and a challenge. You see, uh, first with the hope, my personal opinion is that the author blazes through this part of the story because we already know that God is going to take care of Naomi no matter what, one way or another. Boaz already committed to being the redeemer. 
but he, out of respect and honor to the one that was before him, he gave him the option. Naomi will be cared for, and at this point, it was just a matter of who would take on that role. At this point of the story of Ruth, it is a challenge for us to find hope and wrestle with God's hope for you. This whole story is about how God provided for Naomi time and time again, even as I said in the beginning, with the emotional help, with the practical gathering of food, and now with an heir, God is watching over Naomi, and this same God is watching over you. You might not know how it practically works itself out, but can you trust that God sees beyond your current circumstances? I say this not to dismiss the realities of what you face, but even in the midst of what you are facing, can we cling to the fact that God knows and God cares and God is pursuing you in love? Here's a pause to hope. But here is also the challenge. There will be points in time where loving others feels costly. It might be having a long conversation that just centers around the other person. It might be spending an entire day uh, doing manual labor just to help someone out with no thanks at the end. In a world that often says, what's in it for me? Can we count the cost and give of ourselves sacrificially? Because you see, for the nameless man, he said it was too much. But for Boaz, he gladly paid the price. Look at how he responds in verse 9 and 10. You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon and also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have brought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in, its, in, in his inheritance. God's love for Naomi is displayed in Boaz who gladly fulfilled his role as a redeemer. And in that, where at the beginning we saw a tragedy, who will carry on the family name, now we see that Boaz will take that mantle. Here we see how Naomi's story is reversed from tragedy to great blessing. But more than just an individual account of Naomi's life, it is a sign of love for Israel. It is a sign of God's love for his people. Because when you see, uh, when Boaz redeemed Naomi before the elders and all the people who came to watch, uh, listen to the responses of the witnesses. In verse 11 and 12, May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and, and be renowned in Bethlehem, and may your house be like the house of Perez who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman, by Ruth. They call upon Boaz, upon God to bless Boaz like God has already blessed his ancestors. 
When they looked back, they saw traces of how God's promises was not just for Naomi in isolation, but it started before then with the beginnings of the nation of Israel, with Rachel and Leah, the matriarchs, who gave birth to the 12 children who became the tribes that day. Yet, more than just looking back to the history of Israel, they look forward. A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And here is probably the mic drop moment that the author puts in there because the biggest revelation in the book of Ruth was that it was not just an isolated incident. It was not just a feel-good story to help listeners get through another day. It was a reminder to not just look back, but look forward to God's promises unfolding as God not only provided for Naomi, he provided a king, one of the greatest kings of Israel through this interaction. God, through the line of Judah and Tamar and their son Perez, through them, through the line of Boaz and Ruth, their descendants, he brought forth one of Israel's greatest kings. And so it was a reminder to the original audience that God is active in history and is making good on his promises. Back in Genesis, as Jacob, also named Israel, was blessing his sons, when he got to his son Judah, he said, May the scepter not depart from Judah. May kingship remain in the house of Judah. And God was fulfilling that promise to bring forth an eternal line of kings. So even in the midst of political turmoil that the nation faced when the story was written, even in the midst of enemy nations attacking, God's love is made clear through his active work and history. And if he has been consistent thus far, why wouldn't he be consistent now? So we see God's love for Naomi in Boaz's redemption. And we see God's love for his people through his active hand throughout history. Yet the story of Ruth shows God's love for you here today in the 21st century because the author reminds us that God is not just active in history, but he is in fact the main character of history. Back when Jeremy in the invitation was talking about the fear of the Lord, we, put, we're, uh, he, we were mentioning how we're putting our proper priorities in place. Fearing God, not as some tyrant, but giving respect and due reverence where it was due. So God's love for you is first found in focusing our intention on the main character of the story of Ruth, who is God himself. Yes, you know, the story does rightly celebrate Ruth and her sacrificial love. Ruth is one of the uh, epitomes of the character of God throughout this story. Yet notice that by the end of it, Ruth fades to the background. She does not say anything else. She is just uh, a passive character in this story. 
Instead of Ruth, though she has accomplished much, though she has sacrificed much, listen to the praise found in verse 15. Blessed, verse 14. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. Blessed be the Lord, because throughout the human interactions of Ruth, throughout the human interactions of Boaz and Naomi, God was active and at work. The Lord has not left Naomi, and he has not left Israel either. Even after the story of Ruth ends, even as they end with the note of David, we see that God is not just active in history, but he enters into history under the lineage of that King David. And with the birth of that King Jesus, his descendant, God's love is on full display for all of us to see and experience. Because Jesus, the King above all kings, counted the cost required to redeem us. And it was not just a sum of money. It was not just a plot of land. The cost needed to redeem us from our sin was his life, which he willingly gave up for us on the cross. And through his death and resurrection, we are not only forgiven, but we receive part of his inheritance. By faith, you, you this morning are brought into the house you are brought into the family line, into the kingdom of God, the family line that will never be destroyed or wiped out. It is because of that King Jesus, the one who is active in history and leading history to its final end. It is because of his work his death, his resurrection, and his continual presence through his spirit today that we have hope and access into the family of God. Let that be good news for you stay-at-home parents who might feel like your life is on pause. Let that be good news for you, service workers who are looked down upon or disrespected. Let that be good news for you who feel like you are behind in life compared to your peers or who feel stuck in a state of limbo because of the pandemic or other life circumstances or who feel burnt out, tired, or lost. Your significance in this life is not based on what you do for a living as we confessed. It's not based on the accomplishments you have under your belt or even the reputation you leave behind. No, your significance, your worth is found in everything King Jesus has done for you. You, by faith, are celebrated as a beloved child of God. May that be liberating for us living in a culture where the first questions that people ask you are, what do you do, who do you know, and what can you do for me? May that free us to not try to prove ourselves before others, but instead sacrificially give of yourself to your neighbors, even when nobody notices. Let that truth 
even free you to enter into seasons of being served rather than serving because your worth is not dependent on how much you do or even how selfless you may act. Again, your significance is rooted in Christ as an heir of his kingdom, and he gives you hope for the day when he will bring about the ending of history where sin and suffering will be no more. There will be no more fear of your line being wiped out. There's no more reason to weep because our God will make all things right. And that is the legacy of love he has secured in his son. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we thank you of how great your love is displayed in intimate circumstances, whether it is in the life of Naomi, whether it is in broad strokes of history as we look at the trajectory of the nation of Israel, and even personally and inward as we wrestle with all circumstances of life. God, I pray that as we looked at Ruth and her sacrificial love, as we looked at your divine hand in the midst of it all, let that be a reason to rejoice, to celebrate, and to turn from ourselves and our sense of self-preservation and let us move forward with faith to love others as you have loved us. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, having heard about God's love for us, um, why don't we rise and sing together? Um,